It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Welcome into Wednesday, July 28, 2021, and welcome into the Guy Benson Show. I'm your host, Guy Benson. Glad to have you here every single weekday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, just to be clear, from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Bonus Benson on our podcast on the weekends. Speaking of the podcast, should you miss the live show or any component of it, the podcast is free and on demand every day. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. All of that is available right there. Podcasts also available wherever you download your free podcasts or at FoxNewsPodcasts.com. We've got a very packed show for you today, including later this hour, Peter Ducey, White House correspondent at Fox News. He's been sparring with the press secretary on various issues in recent days. We'll check in with Peter. In the next hour, Chris Christie former governor of New Jersey, will be here on matters serious and less serious. Also in the next hour, Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks. She's a Republican from Iowa. You might remember she won, I think it was like by six votes in that district in Iowa. And the Democrats toyed with the idea, flirted with the idea of trying to steal the race and basically change the rules afterwards. But they were really hammered for it, and eventually backed away from that potential power play. Anyway, she will be here, not just because she's a member of Congress, but because she's a medical doctor. And she's a public health expert. She ran the Department of Health in the state of Iowa earlier in her career. So we will get her reaction to the CDC guidance from yesterday and some of the fallout that is still underway today. Also, in our final hour, the happy hour, Joe Concha media critic, Fox News contributor. He'll be here. Chuck Todd of NBC News says there is no liberal media bias. It's made up by the Republicans. And really the problem that the media has had is not fighting back against the notion harder. Well, they could fight it. They could fight back against it by not being biased. But that ship has sailed. We'll get Joe's reaction to some pretty incredible comments and quotes from Chuck Todd. So that's all coming up. Let me bring you some stats. Fox News alert as we get going here. The coronavirus case count in the United States cumulatively is now 34.6 million. True number much higher. The death toll in the United States from COVID, 611,128. The Dow is down 66 points right now to 34,991. I see that the chairman of the Fed is speaking live. And he is warning that perhaps inflation will be persistent and more significant than expected. Right? The White House keeps saying, oh, it won't be too bad. It's transitory. Well, Powell is saying maybe not. This, of course, with a backdrop of Washington Democrats wanting to spend $4 trillion at least more dollars. And actually, there are some updates on that that we will get to later in the show. Kirsten Sinema, one of the more moderate members of the Democratic Party now, she has said something that is angering 
progressives as there is apparently a breakthrough on the bipartisan infrastructure package. We will bring you some of those details a bit later on. But first, I want to pick up where we started off yesterday on the show, which is the CDC guidance on mask wearing, including for vaccinated people in many parts of the country. And it seems like some of their definitions and thresholds for what counts as a high-risk area, I mean, just ridiculous. And also for children in schools, K-12. through CDC is recommending masks for vaccinated adults and children in schools. A reversal, a stark reversal on both. And their excuses, their justifications for doing so, I think are incredibly weak. And I'm not the only one. We had a medical doctor on the show yesterday who really laid into the CDC on this. Manny Alvarez, you can go and listen to his interview at GuyBensonShow.com. He minced no words. Dr. Scott Gottlieb is throwing very cold water on TV. He used to run the FDA, respected guy. He's being very critical of the decision. One of the most influential journalists in the country on COVID, David Leonhardt from the New York Times, he's got a piece out slamming the CDC. And we'll see what Congresswoman Dr. Miller Meeks has to say later in the show. There are a few points that I want to delve into further because I made a lot of my broad level points on this yesterday but there was a soundbite from Dr. Rochelle Walensky the CDC director that was circulating last night and today and I still can't believe that she said this and that she used this as a talking point in trying to rationalize what the CDC has done because they're saying oh you know we've got this delta surge and it looks like the wave is coming down in the uk as we talked about we are likely on a similar trajectory which would mean two or three weeks from now it's going to come down but there is a wave it is real and it is overwhelmingly almost exclusively among unvaccinated people and the goal should be let's get more people vaccinated let's try to figure out how to convince them or persuade them or induce them to do it Instead, they're saying, hey, let's require masks for children who are at almost no risk whatsoever in schools, and let's force people who have been fully vaccinated to put masks back on. Neither of those things are going to improve the actual problem, which is unvaccinated people getting sick from the very contagious Delta variant, but this is what they've decided to do. It's very, very counterproductive in my view. And one of the ways that Walensky is trying to sell this is by making the following point in cut three. Listen. The largest concern that I think we in public health and science are worried about is that virus and the potential mutations away. We are from a very transmissible virus that has the potential to evade our vaccine in terms of how it protects us from severe disease and death. Right now, fortunately, we are not there. These vaccines operate really well in protecting us about uh, severe uh, forms of severe disease and death. But the big concern is that the next variant that might emerge, um, just a few mutations potentially away, could potentially evade our vaccine. Listen to how many times she says potentially. 
she is using a scare scenario out of a hypothetical future that maybe at some point some mutations away between now and then some new strain might potentially hypothetically in the future evade the vaccines and render the vaccines significantly less effective or ineffective now we have no idea if that's going to happen it may never happen the vaccines are really good the delta variant is oh here we go the delta indian variant look what it's doing in india and then there were studies and they observed the data and good news our vaccines work very well against the delta variant now of course it is possible that at some time in the future there'll be some new version or variant of this disease that is less controlled by or defeated by the vaccines but to use that as an argument for getting vaccinated people masked now makes absolutely no sense whatsoever and as a matter of fact i think it harms the cdc and the reputations and trustworthiness and credibility of public health officials in two very serious ways it is a self-inflicted wound by rochelle walensky again she is talking about a hypothetical possibility in the future as an excuse for new recommendations, new mandates, new mitigation strategies targeting vaccinated people today because maybe, we don't know, maybe not, maybe maybe down the line at some point this thing may mutate. There are a lot of people, including vaccinated people, by the way, and not just conservatives, a lot of Americans who look at what's happened during this pandemic and they wonder to themselves and out loud to each other, what is the government doing why have they done some of the things that they have done is this ultimately about controlling our lives for as long as possible they like the control they like to boss us around people who have control and they see an emergency they're not eager to relinquish that power over people are they trying to keep themselves relevant by controlling us now i don't think that that's actually what applies in many cases i think that you may have overly cautious people who are just by their nature overly cautious based on what they do for a living they don't think about balancing and risk assessment they're just always worried about worst case scenarios i think that a lot of people who are out there trying to make recommendations are doing so in good faith i do think that there are some people who might be a little addicted to the limelight and who might like telling other people what they should do regardless of whether you think it's a prevalent motivation or not really a lot of people believe it that this is a big power play a control situation and when you start telling people that you want to control them further and even turn back the clock go backwards on some of the freedoms that we have regained right they say oh take the vaccine that's your way out of this and they say well never mind you're fully vaccinated but some other people aren't vaccinated so put your mask back on why because we told you to and the data that they cite is shaky at best and there's some people right now really picking apart what the cdc has even presented as science-based justification for all of this they make these new pronouncements they double back they do another 180 and this is i mean how often has the cdc done this complete contradictions of themselves and they do this in this case not based on 
valid, current, demonstrable concern. But she's actually, in the case of the CDC director, talking about a hypothetical future situation that might become a problem. And I'm sorry, but that could justify anything and everything forever. There's no exit strategy. And for people who say, well, there's no exit strategy because that's the whole point, they don't want to have one, they want to keep us under their thumb, they want to control us, I'm not sure I fully agree with that, but when you tell people, well, part of our reason that you have to do this masking thing, even if you're vaccinated, is because maybe some mutations down the line, there might be this hypothetically, you can literally employ that argument forever to justify anything. Well, we're asking you to make these sacrifices and do these things because maybe down the line X, Y, or Z. That is extremely manipulative. It does not persuade me as someone who is open to evidence. I'll just put it that way. I think I'm being very charitable here. I think it is an incredibly reckless stupid, self-defeating argument that will convince a bunch of people that they're right. See, it is about control. Oh, it's not even really the Delta variant. They don't really have the goods here. They can't explain how this is going to help in any significant way, the current problem among unvaccinated people. So they're coming up with some bogeyman that might arise down the line at some point. That is not the way to go about this at all. Then there's the second piece of this that I think is a self-inflicted wound. Let's say, going into the hypothetical, right, if Walensky wants to talk about these scary, frightening, potential eventualities or possibilities down the line, all right, let's play, let's play that game for just a second. Let's say late fall, early winter, we've got more people vaccinated, there's still a lot of people who aren't vaccinated, and some variant arises somewhere in the world that is able to break through our vaccines in a more significant way. And it's very transmissible. I have no idea if this is going to happen. No one knows if it's going to happen. God willing, it won't. But let's just say hypothetically it does, since this is the situation that she's already painted for us. If that happens, and we get to that point, and there are people now getting more and more sick or having to go to the hospital or more people are dying even though they're fully vaccinated and the experts say, well, we don't have to start from ground zero. We don't have to build a new vaccine. We just tweak existing vaccines and adapt. That's the good news. We've had doctors say that on this show many times. You won't be starting from scratch. But they might have to tell us at the national level, look, we need to catch up on the vaccines. We are tweaking the vaccines. We're going to get to that as soon as we can. But in the meantime, please wear your mask. Please do social distancing. If they have to play that card based on this hypothetical in the future, which hopefully they never will. I'm just saying if they do, they have broken the emergency glass already here this week with these new pieces of guidance that are not really defensible scientifically or medically, people are furious about it, and they have blown their credibility again. So if they have to do it in the future, they will have less trust and less compliance, even if it might be justified at that point. Congratulations, Team Science. You've done it again. An absolute mess. I have more to say, including about children. There was an admission today on CNN from Walensky that I think is relevant. 
some new data out of the UK as well. We will get to that and much more. It's the Guy Benson Show on this hump day. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Guy Benson will be right back. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Delta variant isn't making kids any sicker, per se, is it? Because the statistics, as the studies have come back from from children in COVID, what, from the UK, uh, what did we learn there? Some 99.995% of the 470,000 children in England infected survived. I mean, that's an incredible survival rate. The Delta variant isn't making kids any sicker, is it? We don't have any evidence that is doing... So there's the clip briefly of the answer from Rochelle Walensky, Rochelle Walensky, doctor, the CDC chief, on CNN earlier. Good question, John Berman. Delta variant isn't making kids sicker, isn't? It's not what we've learned, is it? She said we have no evidence that it is, because it's not. This is one of the best silver linings of COVID in a horrible year and a half. This disease doesn't kill children. Thank God, but it doesn't. Over and over again, we learn this. There's a new variant that they're sort of using to justify these new changes that make no sense, including the new recommendation, masks for all children, K through 12, in school full time when the school year starts. But there's no need for it. And the new variant is not more lethal for children. And the CDC director admitted that. We've talked about how only 337 people under the age of 18 have died with COVID during the entire pandemic out of 75 million young Americans. More have died from drowning in pneumonia. In the UK, just even more data. Kids 2 to 11 years old have the lowest estimated prevalence of cases of all ages under the age of 35, despite being totally unvaccinated, none of them are vaccinated, no masks anywhere for those kids, full-time in school for four months, and the prevalence of COVID cases among kids that age, tiny. Deaths, virtually... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast. Like, subscribe, and share. Truly non-existent. The data is screaming at us what the truth is, and yet the CDC said, oh, masks on kids in schools. Why? Based on nothing. It's maddening on The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Guy Benson Show. 
We are back. Thanks for listening on this Wednesday. It's the Guy Benson Show. And joining us now, Peter Ducey, Fox News Channel White House correspondent. Peter, good to have you back. It's good to be back, Guy. Thank you. So you've been sparring a bit back and forth with the press secretary, Jen Psaki, on a number of issues. Most recently, the new mask mandates, or at least guidance and recommendations from the CDC and what seems like a 180. They are trying to offer their explanation and their spin. They're kind of just punting it over to the public health officials, public health officials doing their best to justify it. I just spent the first half hour of the show uh, explaining why I'm not really buying it. But what strikes you when you ask, you know, both in front of the cameras and off camera, White House officials about the new guidance and what brought the guidance about? Do you get the sense that they are confident in this and have data that can actually back it up? Well, if they had that, I think I gave them plenty of chances yesterday to share it, and we didn't get it. It's just we follow the science, and the scientists say this, and believe us. But, Guy, just in the last couple minutes, something that is kind of making our heads spin here in the subterranean White House booth of uh, where where Fox is stationed at the White House, they – uh, the president's event at the Mack truck facility in Pennsylvania, he was up close and personal with a bunch of people, no social distancing, no sanitizing in between, shaking hands, uh, no masks. But then he's on board Air Force One right now coming to a place, the White House, where we are all required to wear masks inside. And so if it wasn't confusing yesterday when he's coming out to say this is a necessary measure, but just do it so we can beat this new variant, it got way more confusing just in the last hour or two. Was that indoors, the Pennsylvania? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And I know that they say that they look at a county by county map and they say, well, only in places where there's like 50 positives per 100,000 on a seven day rolling scale. And Washington, D.C. is one of those places. But the COVID is COVID, which is what they told us the whole campaign, the whole transition, the whole first couple months of this administration. And so it's very, very confusing why that's the image that they want, well, especially when is. tomorrow when we have a when we have another White House briefing, uh, you're going to see the full White House press corps sitting in there masked for the first time in months. I noted this yesterday on the air, and I mentioned it at townhall.com as well. <clears throat> I went and I looked at vaccination rates in the country for all 50 states plus the District of Columbia. D.C. is number 13 out of 51. So if D.C. is a danger zone at 13 out of 51, you're going to have most of the country under this new guidance. The president, I guess, decided not to lead by example yesterday. Part of what we were urging them to do was to take the masks off of vaccinated people and lead by example on that front. They finally started to do that. Now they're reversing. And to my question, Peter, about the data, I just want to read a quote. This is from a stat news piece. Quote, an administration official speaking on the condition of anonymity told stat that health experts do not have studies proving that fully vaccinated people are transmitting the virus. And I'm seeing increasing allegations that the supposed evidence for this was a single study out of another country involving the vaccines that aren't even the American vaccines. 
And to base this huge 180 that feels like whiplash to a lot of people on something other than rock-solid evidence that they can provide and explain simply is, in my mind, actually scandalous. I know they came in and told you guys in the press corps, what was it, yesterday, you have to wear masks again. What was the reaction? Did your colleagues just say, great, masks back on? Or were people dubious, asking questions, you know, maybe griping to each other? Yeah, what do you think? (laughs) Definitely the second one. uh, You know, it's the middle of the summer, and everybody here, kind of a condition to get to come to the White House every day and not wear a mask has been to do everything right. Be careful. Wear a mask before you're vaccinated. Get vaccinated. And then wait two weeks and then come back. Still be careful. Everybody here has been doing that. And if their explanation is, well, we don't know if vaccinated people are going to infect people who have not been vaccinated, why does that apply to a place like this where everybody has had to get it? And so there's a lot of frustration just among, you know, we stand at these tents on the lawn and I can't really see who's saying stuff on the other side, some of the other networks, but I can hear it. And uh, griping is would be an understatement yesterday and this morning. Well, I'm actually almost relieved to hear that because part of me wondered if you just have people just, you know, saluting because there's a certain element in this country that is eager to have mitigation and requirements and mandates. And, you know, the CDC doesn't even have to speak. If they even hint that they might want people to put four masks back on, they'll do it. I'm glad to hear that there are sounds like there will be some people, not just you, asking serious questions about this because there are broader implications. It's not just about the inconvenience of a few people wearing a mask when they're in a certain place. It is about vaccine hesitancy. For example, Peter, you know this. You've got the problem that the experts say that's borne out by a lot of the actual data is that the current wave that we're in from Delta is overwhelmingly almost solely affecting unvaccinated people and it makes no sense to me to say okay well that's our problem right now so let's tell vaccinated people to put masks back on let's tell children who are overwhelmingly safe from this disease to put masks on in school and then we'll send the president out without a mask to an indoor event and he will also this happened yesterday insult unvaccinated people calling them dumb or not smart when they're the people that they ought to be trying everything they can to get vaccinated, I, I none of that makes any sense. It seems like not just incoherent, but the opposite of what they should be doing. And uh, to your point, and this might be a question for Jen Psaki tomorrow when we have another briefing, but what of the things that you just listed is going to make somebody get up off the couch and say, you know what, now's the time. Now I'm going to get it. I'm still going to have to wear a mask. And the president's saying I'm not smart, but yeah, now now's my time. I, I don't, it is very hard to understand the strategy and ultimately what this is. And if we're seeing it here at the White House and in D.C., we're, it's going to be seen in a lot of other places. It's just a huge step backwards. It's like going back in time by putting the masks back on. It's a thing they said no good did reason. not have to do. For, for no, well, if they have a reason, then they should tell us. But if, you know, Walensky, the CDC director, is out there saying this is not a decision that I made lightly. I know that this affects a lot of people. Okay, well, then what did you see that was so horrifying Mm -hmm. that made you take this decision, uh, make this decision? if, If there's something, they should show us. And if it's really flimsy and it's something that's going to affect children, 
business owners, people, professionals, students. I, they, there really should be some some meat on the bone there. Well, I mean, look, I think it is what we're seeing so far is that it is flimsy, and if they had something airtight, just slam dunk evidence, they would have it in a fact sheet in front of every single one of you guys, and it would have happened yesterday, not today. Now, here's another thing, because something you just said sparked another thought. Am I correct in remembering that the White House is not revealing the cases that have been detected inside the White House? So there have been some COVID-positive tests, right? Asymptomatic or mild breakthrough infections. Am I correct that they have made the decision not to reveal how many of those have have taken place? Or did I imagine that? No, you are correct. They have told us about one case because it was uh, somebody who was in contact with somebody who was in contact with the president. Uh, they won't tell us anything about other breakthrough cases because uh, we understand that pretty much everybody on the campus here is vaccinated. So the cases now are breakthrough cases. Uh, Jen Psaki was pressed about that by another reporter the other day, and she said, well, why do you need that information? <laughs> I think the response back was uh, transparency. Uh, but on that specific issue, and I, I don't want to guess about something that I don't know anything about, but uh, it really makes you wonder, uh, would they want to hide it if it was a small number or if it was a big number? Well, so here's the thing. I'm not terribly worried about breakthrough cases because they are very mild or asymptomatic. So even if you get a breakthrough case, if you're fully vaccinated, you're not going to get a significant case of COVID. Like that That's sort of the whole point. I'm not freaked out about breakthrough cases. I think there's maybe too much emphasis placed on them. However, that's me, and I've been very consistent about it. If what the White House is telling the world and the country that the Delta variant, it's a game changer, and they've got their reasons for telling fully vaccinated people to wear masks because of breakthrough infections, and this is sufficient reason to reverse an entire set of CDC guidance on masking for unva- for vaccinated people and for uh, putting kids in masks in schools, if that is their argument that they're making to the country, how can they justify not being incredibly transparent about this exact problem that's supposedly driving this inside the White House and on the White House campus? That Those two things don't go together. Especially since after the last administration got away from the daily press briefing on the first day, the press secretary stood up and said, uh, made a pledge to be the most transparent administration in some time, maybe ever. Uh, I would have to check her quote, but that is not the case when you ask about something. And, you know, I think for a lot of the reporters that come here every day, we'd like to know if we're going somewhere that there are these breakthrough COVID cases, uh, just if that's something that somebody else knows. And so I think that's why that answer and that lack of transparency is probably going to be tough for them to keep up. Oh, I mean, I think totally, and, and I think that you're getting my point, which is if if their position in withholding that information about White House breakthrough cases to all of you and therefore the country, if their position there is the breakthrough cases don't really matter, which I think is a fully 
defensible position, and it's actually my position. But if that's what they're telling you guys to justify the opacity on White House cases, then they can't also argue that breakthrough cases are so serious that we're now asking through the CDC vaccinated people to wear masks again, and we have this new guidance, right? It's one or the other. It can't be not important. Right. It can't be not important at the White House, but important enough to change the entire CDC guidance for the rest of the country. It doesn't make any sense. It's a great way to put it. And I you know, they say the CDC is their North Star. uh, But you're right. They're not applying the same guidance here that they are on everybody else that doesn't live here. Imagine that. Last question, Peter. The president is preparing an address on vaccines, correct? That's coming up, if I'm not mistaken, tomorrow. What are you hearing yeah. about that project? So I have gotten some pushback from White House officials today because there are headlines out there. He's going to call for a vaccine mandate for federal workers. They say it's not a mandate because if somebody doesn't want to get the vaccine that works for the federal government, they can sign up for like a lifetime of masking and daily testing. So not a mandate if you have this choice, but uh, it is a requirement if you want to avoid a, a very unpleasant, you know, a year ago kind of set of, of requirements. So that's what we expect tomorrow. Peter Ducey, Fox News Channel's White House correspondent, joining us here on The Guy Benson Show. Peter, appreciate it. Looking forward to that press conference, the briefing that is tomorrow. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, good luck. Peter Ducey here on the show. We will step aside and return right after this. Guy Benson will be right back. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's the Guy Benson Show. Quick update on the Olympics, checking the medal count. Despite some real setbacks and disappointments, Team USA is still ahead of the pack. 31 medals for the USA. Number one, China currently in second place, 27 medals. And then the Russians, who aren't really fully the Russians because of sanctions imposed by the IOC, they are in third place with 23. Host nation Japan not far behind at 22. One of those medals, a gold one, went to Katie Ledecky, the incredibly talented women's swimmer on Team USA. That was late last night, here in America at least, was when I was watching. She won the gold in the 1,500-meter freestyle. That is a long, exhausting swim, and she crushed it. So she had come in second in another event, and some people were surprised by that. She came in fifth in an event that's not her specialty, and I saw some freak out. Then this is exactly what she is built for, the 1500, and she won the gold. So congratulations. That's awesome. Of course, so much of the conversation continues to revolve around Simone Biles, the superstar gymnast on Team USA, who withdrew from the team competition the other night and is now also withdrawing from the individual all-around competition coming up tomorrow. So she's not going to 
try her hand at that either in an individual setting. Now, she might next week still do certain events and try to win, and I think she'd be in a good position probably to win some of them next week, also individual, but not the all-around. It would be on particular pieces of equipment, more specific events. And you've got some people who, of course, are instantly polarized into hardcore camps, right? The total, total celebrators of Simone Biles who insist that her withdrawal decision is heroic and amazing and the true greatness of goatness coming through, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. This shows why she's the goat and we should celebrate how amazing this decision is that she withdrew. And a matter of fact, it's better, it's more impressive than having competed and won the gold, right? I think that that is crazy. Then you've got the people just ripping on her, saying, oh, she's awful for the country, she's a quitter, she's soft, what a disgrace. I think that that is a huge overreaction as uh, as well, because I said yesterday, you never know what's happening in someone's life. You don't exactly know all the details of what happened here. She has pushed through injuries and all sorts of adversity in the past and still performed and succeeded at an incredibly elite level. So I think the soft thing isn't fair based on her own track record saying oh well she you know she wilted under the pressure she cracked she choked well she's been under these brightest lights at the olympics before she's got four golds one thing that persuaded me was a few of the experts people who know the sport very well and i saw dan mclaughlin wrote about this at national review it looks like on her vault event that she did during the the trials or the warm-ups, whatever they call it, days ago, she did not have a great vault. She looked disoriented, and people are saying she got lost in the air. She wasn't sure where the ceiling and the floor were while she was in the air. She got discombobulated, disoriented while in the air, which can be extremely dangerous, obviously. It's not like you're a major league player. You're having a bad day. You might go out and strike out. If you're having a bad day and you're not mentally there and you get lost in the air and you're a gymnast, you could paralyze yourself. So let's just take a breath, root for her to come back next week, respect her decision, but we don't have to pretend like it's the greatest thing ever. Right? I think there's a middle ground here. Guy Benson Show continues next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It's a brand new hour here on The Guy Benson Show, our middle hour of three. Thanks for listening every day, Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, and on the podcast, Around the Clock, on demand and free. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, and any of the platforms where you get your podcasts. We are likely there. Fox News alert as we begin our middle hour. The Dow closes down 127 points, closing at 34,930. With that, let's get to Governor Chris Christie, the 55th governor of the state of New Jersey. Gov, it's great to have you back on the show. 
Happy to be on, Guy. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, I have to ask you this. Yesterday was New Jersey Day, and I'm wondering, how did you celebrate your New Jersey Day? I disliked everybody from the other 49 states. Well, isn't that every day? Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Why change? (laughs) You know, I saw I actually saw a T-shirt yesterday during New Jersey Day here in New Jersey, and it said, don't worry, we don't like you either. (laughs) Why is it that Jersey gets such a bad rap? Because people don't understand it, right? They've never been here. I mean, you know, if you go to the Jersey Shore, it's one of the most beautiful beaches anywhere in the world. When you go to horse country in Somerset County, people can't believe what you see. If you've gone to President Trump's club in Bedminster, they can't imagine. They, what they think is New Jersey is what they see when they ride between Newark Airport and New yep. York City or right. the opening credits of The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. That's what Which they is, think. And, it's part of the state, you know, but it's not the whole state. It is. It's not the whole state, and it's not what we're all about. And, you know, look, this goes all the way back to Ben Franklin guy. You know, Ben Franklin used to say New Jersey is a keg capped at two ends, New York and Philadelphia. And so we don't have our own network television station. We got a bit of a chip on our shoulder because we're stuck between two of the world's greatest cities. Um, and we want some damn respect, Guy. And so uh, we got to fight for it every day. Well, you're being very kind to Philadelphia in that description right there, but I'll let it slide <laughs> for now. I did see Great one other New Jersey guy. Great historically. Okay. Yes, yeah, certainly yeah. at that time. Let's. I will, I will endorse that. Um, and that's just a, a little wave hello to all of my friends who are Eagles and Flyers fans. So, Governor, on the New Jersey front, one more Jersey question. I'm sure you saw this story. The state is renaming... Garden State Parkway rest stops after famous New Jerseyans. I saw John Bon Jovi on the list. I saw James Gandolfini, speaking of the Sopranos, on the list. I think Judy Bloom was one of them. No Bruce Springsteen, unless I miss something. My, there was no Bruce Springsteen. Whitney Houston also got a rest stop named after her. I have to believe that's because they approached, approached Bruce and he said no. I cannot imagine that even Phil Murphy, as dopey a governor as he is, would not say we need to name one after Bruce. And I would assume, though, if Bruce said, look, I'd really prefer not, that they would not do it. And I can only conclude that they must have approached Bruce and asked him if it was okay, and that he said no. Oh, why would he say no? It could be like, you know, the born-to-run restroom. And, I mean, I, I think it's a great honor, especially for, for a New Jerseyan. I would think so, too. Look, I, but, you know, I, you and I, Guy, given where we come from, have often find it, found it hard to understand why Bruce would think the way he thinks. Yeah, so, I think that's fair. You know, fair enough. We've we got to just stick to the music, babe. We've got to just stick to the music. I, I'm, I'm with you there. I saw that you were tweeting about ice cream the other day, and not in the way that people might suspect you might be tweeting about ice cream, because you and I (laughs) actually have talked about snack foods on the air before. It's about Ben and Jerry's. And we've actually covered this saga a little bit on the show about Ben and Jerry's trying to do this straddling of the fence, making their woke anti-Israel people happy, but not ticking off other people. And they've made a whole mess out of it, quite frankly. You are saying that Ben and Jerry's has sort of in some ways triggered a law that you signed in New Jersey where the state can impose what, some sort of sanction on the, the parent company of Ben and Jerry's. What's going on here? 
Well, what happened in 2016, I advocated for and signed a law from the legislature. It was anti-BDS legislation. And, you know, BDS is the the movement that's trying to get people to boycott um, all things Israel. Um, And we said quite firmly, any company that engages in any boycott regarding any part of Israel um, is, is a company that we will not invest in, in the state. And so as a result... What the law requires, requires, is that if a company engages in that type of Israeli boycott, that the state pension funds divest themselves of any holdings they have in that company. Unilever is the parent company of Ben & Jerry's. They bought Ben & Jerry's. And so I believe that we have to, by law, um, divest ourselves of Unilever stock, of which we have significant holdings, from what I understand, in New Jersey in the pension fund. We cannot allow corporate America to continue to bully us with their their values as they see it. And if they want to do that, if Ben and Jerry's wants to decide that, you know, they don't want to sell food, uh, ice cream in the West Bank, um, because they believe somehow that Israel's presence there or in Jerusalem is somehow wrong, they have every right to do that. But they don't have a right to be invested in and supported by the money of the people of New Jersey. And that's not an option. Phil Murphy should be doing this immediately. Why he hasn't done it is a shock to me, because that was a bipartisan law that passed, I I believe, almost unanimously in the legislature and was signed by me in 2016. And it is wrong. We need to stand up for our friends in the world, Guy, and we need to stand up for Israel against corporate interests. This is like Coca-Cola and Delta doing what they were doing regarding the All-Star Game and Major League Baseball. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. We need to stand up to these corporations and get them to knock it off. And one of the ways to do it is take money away from them, because that's all they seem to understand. Yeah, and it's, you're making the point. It's not an option in New Jersey. It is required under this law that New Jersey do this, given what Ben & Jerry's has done. I, I do have to say, Governor, that I do find it kind of amusing that Amid this whole outcry about Israel and the so-called pro-Palestinian movement and all this stuff, and they're haranguing and harassing Ben and Jerry's on social media because they were selling ice cream in the Palestinian territories occupied, quote-unquote. Well, the way that they've rectified this in their own minds, according to Ben and Jerry's, is, oh, okay, we're not going to sell ice cream to Palestinians anymore, and the Palestinians who are working for the distributor have all lost their jobs Great. Congratulations. You've really stuck it to Israel. No ice cream for Palestinians. No Ben and Jerry's jobs for Palestinians. It doesn't make any sense, but so much of this is irrational. Hatred of Israel is deeply irrational. A lot of it is driven by bigotry. And so we'll see if the governor of New Jersey, your successor, Phil Murphy, will actually follow the law here. I want to shift. Will, yeah, will he follow the law? Will he stand with Israel? Because that's yeah. what this is about. It's bigger. It's bigger than anything else, because every time a state doesn't stand up for Israel, it gives permission to the bigots you're talking about, the anti-Semites that you're talking about, who are behind this BDS movement. Yeah, which unto itself I think is anti-Semitic. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. Chuck Schumer has explained why BDS is anti-Semitic, and it really comes down to double standards, where you're only calling for sanctions and divestment and boycott against the tiny 
single Jewish state in the whole world, which is the size of New Jersey, by the way. You get people who yep. are against sanctions against Venezuela, against sanctions for Iran, but they support sanctions for Israel, the democracy. I mean, there's something at play there that is rotten. So the, the point is well taken. I want to ask you about national politics here and what your advice would be to Republicans on Capitol Hill right now, because we've got some developments on the whole infrastructure negotiation and the reconciliation bill. We've covered a bit here on the show. We've got some updates that we'll get to probably in the next segment. But broadly speaking, it looks like there's some sort of an agreement on the bipartisan infrastructure bill, a little over half a trillion dollars of new spending, apparently paid for, no tax increases. Then you've got this other huge Democrat-only bill that they're plotting, which will be let's say they're saying $3.5 trillion. even if it's a little bit less than that. It's just an astounding amount of money that they want to ram through on a party-line-only vote. And we've had people on the show who are of, of both opinions. Some people saying the Republicans should pull the plug, even if they like the infrastructure bill that's bipartisan and it could help them back home and show that they're willing to work together. If it's been tied to this orgy of Democrat-only spending, you're, you're putting Republican fingerprints on something that is extremely irresponsible, and you're almost rewarding the Democrats for this crazy plan. The other side of the argument is, well, if you pull the plug and the Republicans walk away, the Democrats are going to pass a bunch of stuff anyway with their votes only. It could be worse, it could be more expensive, and it goes to the Democratic narrative that Republicans will never cooperate with anything. And so at least Republicans would have some control over making some of this better, and it could strengthen the hand of a Kirsten Cinema and a Joe Manchin to try to bring down the astronomical number on the Democrat-only bill, the reconciliation bill. You've tangled, you've gone back and forth with you know, the Democrats in your legislature when you were governor. As you look at the pros and cons here, what would you recommend for Republicans in Congress to do? What I think they have to do is twofold. First is to stop the linkage between the two. I mean, not everybody is saying that, of course. Joe Biden is not saying any longer there's linkage between the two. Um, and Nancy Pelosi seems to be the one in leadership who's saying that. Um, you've got to say to your Democratic friends, we're not, if we get an agreement on the infrastructure bill, um, which I do think is the right thing to do. I do think there's a lot of good things in there. There's a lot of things in there that I wouldn't do. But I think more than, uh, more than not, there are, it's, a good, it's a good bill for what we need to do for our country in terms of infrastructure. Um, but uh, it can't be linked to this other bill. And you, but if you undercut the bipartisan nature of the infrastructure bill, you are undercutting mansion and cinema. And you need mansion and cinema to be able to bring down that $3.5 trillion uh, bill um, that they're they're talking about for social infrastructure. Um, I, I have to tell you, I don't believe that Joe Manchin will support a three and a half trillion dollar bill. I just don't. And well, Kirsten Cinema just came out against it today. She said, I'm, "We're not doing that number." No, and and I don't believe Joe Manchin will either. Um, and so let's be smart as Republicans. Let's make a deal where we can make a deal that makes sense. This is a deal paid for with no tax increases. Those are things that Republicans should be for. And by the way, it's repurposing what would have otherwise been completely wasteful COVID spending, right? So we're repurposing that money to do something on a capital project that will be long-term good for the country. That's a good thing to do and a deal that's worth making. We brought the price of that deal down 
significantly, got rid of a gas tax increase and all the rest that was in the original Democratic plan. But we have to say to Manchin and Cinema, if we're doing this in the Senate, look, there can't be linkage between the two. And, and, and Nancy Pelosi can't delay putting this on the floor until the other bill gets done. That's just unacceptable. If we have a deal, we have a deal. And it should move forward and get to President Biden's desk and get there quickly. So I think there's a way to do this as Republicans where you can be both cooperative, but also still stand for your principles. Governor, last question. We have about a minute minute and a half left here. Your reaction to the CDC reversal yesterday, now saying vaccinated people do need to wear masks again. Kids need to wear masks in schools. I know it's a highly controversial. We've been super critical of it here. Your your response to it, especially as you're engaged in this project of trying to get fence sitters off the fence to get vaccinated, what do you make of it? It is destructive to every effort that a lot of us are trying to make to get people vaccinated. If you tell people, go get vaccinated, but you still have to wear a mask. And what I want to know is where's the science behind that? I have not seen any science that tells me that vaccinated people are conveying or transmitting this virus in any large numbers at all. So I want to see the science guy, and I haven't seen it. And, and this is where the American people start to get really angry and aggravated about what they believe is politics being played with this stuff. So I'm out there saying we've got science behind the vaccines. We know that 95 percent of the people who are being hospitalized right now are people who are unvaccinated. That tells you that the vaccine has a very positive impact on your ability not to have to be hospitalized for COVID and certainly not to die from COVID. But this idea of putting masks on our kids in schools and putting masks on vaccinated people, I will just tell you, I have not seen any science that supports that. And as long as there is no science that supports that, then I am opposed to it. Yeah, or flimsy science or like partial, it it just... Destructive is the word that you use, and it's destructive is the word that I will use as well. We've got to leave it there for now. Chris Christie, former governor of the state of New Jersey. Always enjoy it, Governor. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely, Guy. Thanks for having me. You bet. And we'll be right back after this. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. It's the Guy Benson Show. So we talked briefly there with Governor Christie. And fact check, it turns out that Bruce Springsteen did politely declined to have a rust stop named after him, according to a spokesperson. Interesting. Anyway, on this infrastructure bill and the reconciliation package and all these trillions of dollars, the news today is that the Republicans and Democrats in this working group have struck an agreement on a bipartisan basis. It's basically what we had been reporting about. They just finalized a few details. So the next step would be moving to that bill. And there's that debate that I asked the governor about. What should Republicans do? I'm torn on it. What I do find interesting is now that there is an agreement, which might trigger this debate and get a cloture vote onto the bill, see what Republicans do, Kirsten Sinema, one of those moderate Democrats, she announced this $3.5 trillion reconciliation number that Democrats are talking about. She's just straight up saying, no, we're not going to do that. She's not saying no to any reconciliation bill, but she has now come out as 
opposed to $3.5 trillion. And so I think what she and Manchin and a few others might try to do is bring the number down. I mean, Manchin said $2 trillion was his max. We'll see if he sticks with that. 3.5 is just astounding. And if Republicans cut and run from the whole process, the Dems might have a stronger hand to spend more and do worse things, p- potentially. But with Cinema coming out against $3.5 trillion, AOC has now tweeted attacking her. This just came out within minutes. She tweets, this is AOC, good luck tanking your own party's investment on child care, climate action, and infrastructure while presuming you'll survive a three-vote House margin, especially after choosing to exclude members of color from negotiations and calling that a quote-unquote bipartisan accomplishment than two thumbs-up emojis. So AOC is coming after Cinema because Cinema is saying I'm not going to support 3.5 trillion. By the way, without every single Democrat on board, they don't pass it. They have no margin. They have to get every single one, 50 Democrats, and then the vice president to break the tie. Cinema and I am also going to guess Manchin to say no. 3.5 is way too much. If they have the bipartisan achievement in their pocket, they can then say, look, we've already achieved this. Let's bring this other number down. That's maybe the best case scenario, potentially, from a conservative standpoint. But AOC, furious, notice that that was an implicit threat, that it might not get through the House because the progressives, the lefties, might tank it in the House. And notice the race card. Oh, the negotiations chose to exclude members of color. I don't know if that's even true. But she's checking the skin color of the senators involved, and she mentions that. Popcorn, folks. Popcorn. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The Guy Benson Show. Back here on The Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you along today and every day, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Joining me now is Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks, a Republican from Iowa's 2nd Congressional District. She wears and has worn many hats. Doctor, Lieutenant Colonel, former director of Iowa's Public Health Department, and recently she was elected to the House of Representatives. By just a handful of votes, you may remember Pelosi and the Democrats toyed with the idea of trying to steal it from her. That fell through, and she is a full-blown, duly elected member of Congress. And Congresswoman, it's not only great to talk to you here, it was great to meet you in Indianapolis last week. Well, that was my pleasure. It was so uh, so nice to meet you in person, and uh, and thank you so much for for uh, introducing yourself to me. Um, I wasn't looking for people in the crowd with hats on, so um, and I'm a little petite, so it's hard for me to uh, to look through crowds. <laughs> well, I came over and I found you, and we had a good conversation about vaccines because, of course, you're a policymaker now, but you're also a doctor. As I mentioned, you ran Iowa's public health department, and in our conversation about vaccines. We weren't even getting to the point of what we now realize was the case, although I think looking back, the seeds were being sown now for a number of weeks that the CDC was going to reverse itself again, this time on mask wearing for vaccinated people. And I know that you've had this struggle the way that we've had the struggle with our platform here. We've been arguing in favor of vaccination forever. As long as the vaccines have existed, we've been encouraging people, we've been following the data and the science. And I just feel like what the CDC has done here has made 
our job collectively harder to convince skeptical people because they've done things that have played directly into the concerns and fears of vaccine hesitant people. As a doctor, as someone who's been a public health official, what is your assessment of the CDC decision on the merits and then also in terms of politics and messaging? Well, I I could not agree with you more. And uh, just last week, uh, before we left and before uh, going to Indianapolis, I had again spoke on the House floor about the need to get vaccinated and also that um, my concern was that the Delta variant uh, upswing was going to be used to to reinforce lockdowns and mask mandates. Um, I did not know that that would come about this week. Um, And and even as we speak, last night, uh, the office... uh, of the attending physician has, which means Nancy Pelosi has reimposed mask mandates uh, for those of us in Congress. Um, and so I had looked at uh, some of the scientific evidence again over the weekend after our conversation. I had looked at what the breakthrough was of double vaccinated people getting COVID-19. The risk was exceedingly low. The numbers I saw were, was that the breakthrough was 0.05%. And even though people who had been vaccinated may be symptomatic with COVID-19, the risk of hospitalization and death was exceedingly low. Uh, and so primarily the people catching the Delta variant were, um, uh, were people who had not been vaccinated, uh, with the exception of those House Democrats who came up in a plane unmasked to the Capitol and brought, uh, they brought uh, the Delta variant uh, north with them from, from South Texas. Uh, but, um, you know, despite the little levity there, um, I am very concerned about what uh, the CDC is doing now. I think that this guidance, number one, um, the, the guidance was slow to begin with as far as removing masks if you were fully vaccinated. If um, I firmly believe that the vaccines work, that they're effective, I believe the science behind the vaccines. And so if you're double vaccinated, leave that to individuals uh, to determine, given their personal health history and their personal medical risk to wear a mask if they're concerned or anxious about catching uh, the Delta variant or the Lambda variant that is coming up uh, from South America. But don't force um, mask mandates on everyone who is vaccinated. That makes absolutely no sense. Um, And I've yet to see that data. So if I have the opportunity, um, and I think I will speak with members of the DOC caucus to send a letter to Dr. Walensky at the CDC asking for um, the research and the studies that, uh, in fact, support going and recommending masks on people that are double vaccinated. Well, I don't think that that research or data actually exists. And I'm not just speculating there. There was a piece, and I'll just quote from it. This is Stat News. Quote, an administration official speaking to the, an administration official speaking on the condition of anonymity told Stat that health experts do not have studies proving that fully vaccinated people are transmitting the virus. End quote. Well, we're actually doing research in, into that um, now, uh, whether or not there, there is research and studies that support this, whether that's within the United States or abroad, I think is an extraordinarily important question. We do have a select subcommittee coronavirus task force tomorrow. And if um, Dr. Fauci is at that hearing and I am able to ask questions, it is a question that I will be asking him. Uh, in addition to which, asking about uh, the uh, guidance for vaccination in children uh, and the risk-benefit ratio in vaccinating children and the CDC's data on that. And if they don't have data, why do we not have data? Yeah, I mean, the children piece of it makes the least sense to me because it's settled science as far as COVID is concerned about what a low risk this disease is. Blessedly, thank God, to children. We've known this 
more or less the entire time, and yet the same mistakes keep getting made. And to the point that you're making, Doctor, this is what really frustrates me. If you look at what is driving the current Delta wave, and there are some indications that we might be heading toward the downslope because we've seen that in the UK, perhaps a similar trajectory coming here, but there is a Delta wave. It is overwhelmingly being driven not by a handful of breakthrough cases among the vaccinated. It's being driven by the unvaccinated. And rather than figuring out creative and new and compelling and persuasive ways to convince people who haven't taken the plunge yet on the vaccine, instead of doing that, which seems like it's the all-hands-on-deck priority right now, the CDC said, well, actually, what we're going to do is start punishing people who have gotten fully vaccinated, even though there's not strong data to support that that's going to be effective in any you know, meaningful way. But that's what they've decided to do anyway. And it's like, oh, well, we have to protect hypothetically unvaccinated people from fully vaccinated people who might have a rare breakthrough case it just seems incoherent on the science horrific on the messaging because a lot of those hesitant people on the vaccines believe some combination in many cases of the government not really having confidence in the vaccine working this undermines that confidence even further or that the government just wants excuses and they're going to constantly latch on to any justification to wield influence and power and control over people's lives. Both of those fears have been at least partially validated by this move that doesn't seem scientifically justified. I mean, it's puzzling. Well, I think you saw that when uh, when the FDA uh, went into the pause for uh, the J&J vaccine, yep. uh, which another uh, another tact could have been to uh, recommend that women between 18 and 50 not get the J&J vaccine, but let other people get the J&J vaccine while they continue to study uh, the clotting issue. And this is that same thing. Um, and, you know, if you look at on social media what's revolving around vaccinated and unvaccinated, number one, we continue to have inconsistent messaging from the CDC and from experts. Um, number two, um, we're not addressing the concerns of people uh, given that this is still under emergency use, use authorization, and we've asked the FDA about this and asked them to use real-world evidence in getting full authorization. Number three, are we continuing to pit people who are vaccinated versus unvaccinated against one another? And by mandating people that um, have been double vaccinated to wear a mask to put more pressure, and I just see this as, as you know, more political division, and it's unfortunate and it undermines us in the public health sphere and in, in the medical sphere from really trying to crush the pandemic, which is immunity either from having COVID-19 or from being vaccinated. So I continue to encourage people to get vaccinated. I think this is a wrong move on the basis of the CDC unless they can, they can show that they have valid studies, valid research that indicates that there is high virus loads in those people that have been double vaccinated. But so far, I've not seen uh, that research. And even if there are somewhat high virus loads and that there are situations and instances of transmission, although Walensky said yesterday and again today that it's rare, right? She's conceding that it's rare that vaccinated people would transmit the disease to unvaccinated people. There are a lot of vaccinated people saying these unvaccinated folks have made a decision for themselves as adults. Why are you holding the rest of us hostage or imposing punitive measures on us when we've done what you've asked us to do that's the other piece of this 
Now, Congresswoman, I do want to ask you, and our guest is Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks of Iowa. She's a medical doctor. She ran the state of Iowa's public health department. When we were chatting, the two of us, in Indianapolis, there was a young woman who was right there as well who is clearly vaccine skeptical. She had not gotten vaccinated. She was sort of peppering you with questions. Very patiently, you were responding. When you hear from constituents who might trust you because they know you're a doctor or people that you've treated in the past, patients of yours, family members, whomever, constituents, people who are still not sold on the vaccine and they present questions to you, what is your approach to dealing with those questions? What are the most common concerns that you hear? And what's your response? Um, You know, my response is always to be patient, to be understanding, to be compassionate. I think it's valid for people to have concerns and to have questions, especially when in certain age groups, uh, there's very low low morbidity and mortality. And uh, it was the same thing as a physician, both as a nurse and a physician, probably one of your best skill sets is to listen. It is not unusual in the internet age for people to bring into your office reams of internet papers that they then wanna discuss something with you, whether it's a treatment, whether it's a disease, whether they think it's related to some of the symptoms they have. And you have to ferret through that information with individuals. It can be frustrating, but you do it nonetheless. So uh, I tend to ask them what their concerns are. Um, Many people are concerned that it doesn't have full authorization. Um, And then I will very patiently explain to them that more individuals were studied in the clinical trials for these vaccines than than I can think of any medicine currently approved now, fully approved, or any vaccine. So the numbers of people, if you look at the real-world evidence with the numbers of vaccines, we'll go through their questions about uh, whether or not it affects fertility. What about young people uh, getting heart inflammation or myocarditis? But the risk of that is actually greater from getting COVID-19 than it is from getting myocarditis from the vaccine. But it's a valid concern. Um, So you have to address the risk-benefit ratio very patiently um, to explain that there were no safety protocols cut. Um, Even though this came to market very rapidly, it was based on decades of research, and there were no safety corners cut. What President Trump did, which to me is a model that we should go forward with, and this is something uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb talked about before he became head of the uh, FDA, and that is regulatory hurdles that that are being put in place by the FDA. So they cut regulatory hurdles in red tape, which is something that we as conservatives and Republicans always talk about. Right. Um, and so they cut that, but they didn't cut safety protocols. They didn't limit the number of people in um, in the clinical trials. Um, and I do think the CDC could be more transparent with uh, any um, adverse outcomes that are reported uh, uh, through VAERS. Um, I think transparency is the best option, understanding, compassion, not blaming, not shaming, not denigrating, not saying to people that they should be denied health insurance or coverage if they're not vaccinated. None of that is effective. None of that works. Uh, We can get people vaccinated if we're patient, if we're understanding, and if we approach them at their level, at their place. Doctor, on that point about the FDA and about approval, this is another line that I hear from time to time. People who aren't sure about the vaccine say, well, look, it's still experimental because it is emergency authorization only right now. And you mentioned this idea about, well, can we maybe get the FDA to approve it fully? That might actually bring some extra layer of confidence for certain people. What does that look like? I mean, because you have expertise in this field. Are there good reasons why they haven't fully approved it yet? Are there good reasons to expedite 
that process because, you know, it seems like the real-world outcomes here ought to be determinative because there are, what, 160 million-plus Americans who are vaccinated right now? It's a massive, massive pool to look into. And if there were any really big red flags, we would know about them. If you could just speak to that and the approval process and whether or not you think it would be worthwhile and responsible to fast-track full approval at this time. Well, I I think, um, and you brought up real-world evidence, and uh, members of the Doctors' Caucus uh, and I um, had actually approached the FDA on that and separating the doses of the vaccine. And I think it is a valid reason uh, uh, to full authorization for these vaccines. I understand that the FDA is risk-adverse, and this is a long history that comes after thalidomide uh, decades ago. um, But nonetheless, you've got real-world evidence not just in the United States, millions and millions yeah. of vaccines have already been administered. And I think you can look at that evidence, look at the side effects. And I, and, and Pfizer and Moderna have both already asked for full um, authorization, full approval. And I think that the FDA should look at the real world evidence and then make a decision based on that. Congresswoman and Dr. Marionette Miller-Meeks, Republican of Iowa's 2nd Congressional District, and as I've mentioned now several times, because I think it's super relevant to this conversation, the former director of the state of Iowa's Public Health Department. Really good stuff. Really important conversation. You're very calming. You're very specific. And we appreciate that. I think that is important on this discourse, on something this important especially. Congresswoman, again, great to meet you last week. Thanks for coming on, and let's talk again soon. All right. Thank you, Guy. Have a great day. You too. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Guy Benson. We'll be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Back on The Guy Benson Show, we talked earlier in the week with producer Christine who told us about her daughter, who's eight years old, that this summer camp, they had already jumped the gun before CDC put out its stupid new guidance. They had decided all on their own that the kids were going to have to wear masks at all times, indoors and outdoors. It is absolute children, young children who are safe from coronavirus, outdoors, the safest place to be in coronavirus, are going to have to wear masks. And because it's so hot out and the mask could impede their breathing if they're running around and playing, which is the whole point of summer camp, these geniuses said, well, what we're going to do is keep them inside more. So let's bring them into a higher-risk environment rather than being outside, even though they're all little children. It just makes me want to tear my hair out. These are adults, and again, they were ahead of the CDC. And the CDC's guidance is incredibly stupid for a number of reasons that were just outlined by Congresswoman Miller-Meeks, a medical doctor in the previous segment. So that's an example from New Jersey. If you go across the country to the opposite coast, Governor Gavin Newsom out in California facing a recall effort. I've seen some of the polling looks like it's tightened with the most motivated voters, the highest likely, highest propensity voters, with the most motivated, highest propensity voters being the most likely to support a recall, right? Things are getting perhaps a little bit Shaky out there for Gavin Newsom. We all remember his big mess at the French Laundry, the very fancy, expensive restaurant, pre-vaccines, right? They were inside a bunch of political elites, no masks, 
while the rest of the plebes weren't allowed to dine, in some cases even outdoors, they were having this fancy event up in Napa Valley, and he was photographed there. Big mistake. Huge hypocrisy. Now, Newsom and his wife have pulled their children out of summer camp after photos emerged of one of his kids running around playing without a mask on. And the governor's spokesman saying, well, the family missed an email where the camp said that they were not going to be enforcing masking guidance. And so now that they've gotten caught, basically, oh, they're heavens to Betsy. They are stunned and shocked to learn that this summer camp being attended by their children was not following every little jot and tittle of guidance on mask mandates. And so they have pulled their kids out. They are coming home. That camp is so irresponsible. It's just PR. It's damage control. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show. Coming right up, Joe Concha joins me when we return. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Happy Hour on this Wednesday. We are underway, our final of three hours as we air 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday here at The Guy Benson Show. Our website, GuyBensonShow.com, the podcast free of charge on demand each and every day when the show concludes. And this hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. I do love the long drink. Blue can is the original. I like the white can with no sugar, fewer calories, just as delicious in my estimation. There are other varieties as well. It is becoming increasingly popular across the country. It entered Illinois a few months ago, and it's just blown up in Illinois. TheLongDrink.com is their website. It is a crisp and delicious citrus soda, very refreshing, with a premium liquor kick. So 21 plus only, please, and always drink responsibly. TheLongDrink.com to see where it's sold near you or to order online, which is our option here. As we begin our final hour of today's show, let's welcome in Joe Concha, Fox News contributor and political columnist at The Hill. He covers the media beat. And Joe, it's great to have you back on the show. Guy, it's pleasure's all on this side of the uh, phone. How are you, sir? I am well. I'm especially well because as a fellow New Jersey Devils fan, you might have seen the reports that Dougie Hamilton, the 6'6", 28-year-old powerhouse defenseman, has been acquired by the Devils. Uh, and signed to a pretty significant contract, and Lord knows they need help on the blue line. That is pretty significant for our Devils, who have been struggling in recent years. I haven't been this excited about a defenseman since Scott Stevens, uh, guy. And uh, this guy is like Stevens, except built like Colin White. I know we're going into the weeds here as far as Devils of the past. But, yeah, when you haven't been to the playoffs in 10 years, I'll take anybody at this point. Yep, I agree, and he can score. That's the other thing. So in that sense, he's reminiscent of a Scott Niedermeyer. And now we can stop nerding out about New Jersey Devils hockey before everyone else (laughs) tunes out. But, Joe, I want to get your reaction. I thought of you immediately when I saw some of the quotes from Chuck Todd, who is the anchor of Meet the Press. He's the political editor at NBC News. He is 
really their chief political on-air honcho at NBC. And he was interviewed recently by The Verge, and one of the topics that came up was media bias, liberal media bias, and the position of Chuck Todd is it doesn't exist. He says it, it doesn't really exist. It's a Republican talking point. So let me just read to you some of these quotes from this interview. He says, I think objectivity and fairness are not the same thing. You can't define objectivity as sort of being equal. You can't balance the truth. He said, where do we get lost in all of this? This sort of happened to become mainstream, and it happened to the mainstream media in particular, and we let Republican critics get in our heads. The Republicans have been running on, there's a liberal bias in the media, and talk about if you say something long enough, there are liberals who say there's a liberal bias in the media when you see the polling now. So basically, he's accusing the Republicans of promulgating a falsehood over and over again, and they've sort of created the impression that there's a liberal bias out there in the press. It doesn't really exist. It got in their heads, and it's just not true. There are a few other things that he said, Joe, but I'll just let you react to his broad point first. Sure. Okay. So let's take right and left out of this, conservatives and liberals out of this. And we look at an Axios poll that ran last year, and it found that 80% of Republicans guy, uh, I'm sorry, 80% of independents, excuse me, those in the middle have no rooting interest, find that the news media pushes narratives they know to be fake or false. Okay. So that's not a Republican talking about that. That's not a liberal talking about that. Those are those in the middle. There's another from Gallup that says that 83% of the American people feels that the press bears the blame for division in this country because obviously the media has picked a side. So in Chuck Todd's case, explain to me then, Chuck, the leading newspaper in the country, the New York Times, has, hasn't endorsed a Republican presidential candidate since 1956. That's 14 elections straight. That means they actually endorsed Walter Mondale, who won exactly one state. Or the Washington Post, you could say maybe it's a leading paper in this country as well, but a second leading paper in this country. They haven't ever endorsed a Republican candidate in its history. So you want to talk about this whole thing like Austin and people's heads, there's not really a bias. Watch Chuck's show sometime, and he is exhibit A in terms of bias. You will never, ever, ever Confused. Chuck Todd with Tim Russert, who actually challenged both sides and didn't care about whose party was being represented in the other chair that he was interviewing. Watch Chuck Todd interview somebody sometime and you get a much different impression. Well, Joe, the thing is, it's not just some giant invented idea or notion that the left is overly disproportionately represented in the media. I mean, it's not even close. In fact, we've been reading this quote a lot recently on the air. Julia Yaffe, who's a journalist, she interviewed a prominent D.C. journalist who wished not to be named for the purposes of this interview, but prominent D.C. journalist, apparently, you know, household name, said when you cover Republicans, they expect you to be unfair to them. So if you're not, if you're basically fair, they'll cooperate and you can actually have a really productive working relationship with them. Democrats, and I'm almost verbatim quoting now, Democrats expect you to be on their side and get angry if you hold them to account. That is a journalist speaking about a just blatantly obvious dynamic in politics and media, which is the media and journalists, especially D.C. and New York and that whole corridor. The elite media in this country overwhelmingly are Democrats, vote for Democrats, side with Democrats on matters fiscal and especially social and 
if you need any verification of that or sort of uh, amplification, fortification of the point, here is this journalist sort of explaining in a crystal clear way, the Democrats expect journalists, and they've learned correctly, this is not out of nowhere, they have been conditioned to believe that Democrats are going to be on their side because journalists overwhelmingly are on their side. I mean, you can't just fool a bunch of people. The fact that you have polls, and this is Chuck Todd, you know, he's, he's lamenting the fact that even Democrats in polls seem to think that the press is biased in their direction. I guess the Republicans must have the most effective propaganda machine in the history of propaganda if they're, <laughs> if they're swindling even Democrats to just see what's right in front of them, and obviously so. Uh, just the lack of self-awareness. I think is extraordinary, and it really explains a lot of what happens much of the time over at NBC. Wow. God, who knew that Republicans actually were able to bring the Jedi mind trick from the big screen to real life? It's amazing <laughs> that we're, we're tricking all these people now. Uh, yeah, look, Olivia Nuzzi is also uh, quoted in that piece, and she said that many journalists out there are afraid to express what that anonymous reporter had expressed because they're afraid that their social status within the journalism community will be impacted or they'll be ostracized outright. And that is exactly right, because you think about this, Washington and New York, right? You look at the 2020 election. I think Donald Trump got something like 9% of the vote in New York, 4% of the vote in Washington. So if you want to be a part of the cool kids table, then you better conform. And conform means just go along with the typical groupthink on XYZ policy and XYZ politician, and you'll be home. And about that thin skin part that you talked about, Exhibit A is Joe Biden, right? Because anytime he's challenged with remotely a fair question, he come, becomes Grandpa Simpson, get off my lawn. Kamala Harris, same thing. When she was asked by Lester Holt, you haven't been to the border. And she's like, we've been to the border. She's like, oh, no, no, you haven't been to the border. She's like, well, I haven't been to Europe either. What's your point? Like, it's like, I can't believe you're actually asking me a fair question. The thin skin this comes out because they expect to be completely carried across the finish line. And that's a big problem, right? Because when you don't hold the powerful accountable, then what are we going to be left with? People are able to spin things like Republicans defended, or I'm sorry, defunded the police, and Jen Psaki thinks she could push that because she thinks enough journalists are going to do her bidding for her. Right. So that's where we are arrogant. as far as media is concerned. It's, it's, it's pathetic, quite frankly. Yeah, there, there's an arrogance, and it's preposterous. The example that you gave, I think, is a, a pungent one. So in this interview with Chuck Todd, he goes on. He says, well, there are some differences, cultural divides, urban-rural divides, but it's not left and right. He said what the Republicans have done is subsumed all of this and it's turned into this, i.e. political bias. Now here's where he thinks the media has gone wrong. And here you go, Joe, this is where it's just astounding. Poll after poll shows that trust in the media is in the tank. People trust the news media less than ever before in America, Republicans in particular, and a lot of independents, and in Many Democrats, as we pointed out, recognize the bias on parade, and yet this is what the anchor of Meet the Press and one of the top political on-air figures at NBC diagnoses as the true problem. Quote, we should have fought back better in the mainstream media. We shouldn't have accepted the premise that there was a liberal bias. We should have defended. I hear these attacks on fact-checkers where they say fact-check and Republicans, they fact-check Republicans six times more than they fact-check Democrats. Yeah, well, maybe Republicans are being factually incorrect more often than the Democrats. What we've ended up with in this is a both-sides trope. So Todd believes that the biggest problem that the media faces in terms of the bias discussion is not their obvious, glaring bias it is the fact that they didn't deny it harder 
and accepted the premise and didn't fight back more. And he says to prove this somehow, and he just seems kind of like he's riffing here. He's like, yeah, they'll say, oh, the Republicans get fact-checked six times more than Democrats. Well, maybe Republicans are six times bigger liars than Democrats. I mean, that's obviously not true. Politicians in both parties lie. The example of fact-checkers, I think, illustrates the point that most people understand, Joe. And Chuck Todd looks at it and says, well, actually, let me just wear my bias on my own sleeve and say, yes, Republicans are much bigger liars. And this way predates Trump, by the way. Republicans just are bigger liars than uh, than Democrats are. We need to fight back more against this phony premise. And he ends up by talking about both sidesism. I would say both sidesism in this case would be equating journalistic bias against liberals, which is rare, to journalistic bias against conservatives, which is systemic. I mean, I, I couldn't believe... I shouldn't be that shocked, but I couldn't believe the complete lack of self-awareness and introspection from Chuck Todd, as evidenced by quote after quote in this interview. So, so I noticed one word that he used a lot, which was fight. We have to fight back. Who are you fighting exactly? Right. Who are you fighting on behalf of, Todd? Uh, because, uh, Chuck, in your case, I believe it was your wife before the 2016 election uh, that had a bunch of Hillary Clinton staffers and even their campaign uh, communications director and campaign manager over to your house for a lovely dinner. Did you have one for Republicans as well? I'm just curious. And then that had to get out somehow, like you weren't transparent about it in any way, shape or form. Look, Gallup just came out with a public confidence poll. Right. And again, I'm going back to the public. I don't want to hear from Chuck Todd. I want to hear from people watching at home. And, and by the way, just the Joe, Joe, just one other example, because yeah. you're talking about NBC. The chief political anchor for ABC was literally a Democratic operative, a rapid response Democratic operative, George Stephanopoulos. And one of the top yep. anchors at CBS, Gail King, goes on vacation with the Obamas and their personal friends. I mean, that's all three major networks, just examples off the top of our heads right here. Right, and they're not presented as opinion people like Rachel Maddow, right, or Lawrence O'Donnell. No, they're 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 presented as the straight the news. news people who are just here to seek truth, the power. Yeah, right. Uh, look, the Gallup, that public confidence poll I was going to mention. Uh, here are the two uh, entities that polled the lowest, uh, lowest in this poll. Small business polled the highest, the military polled well. Police actually polled higher than they did last year. Yay, good. A majority now have public confidence in the police. But then you got to go all the way to the bottom, and sixteen percent of people trust broadcast television journalism in other words chuck todd's racket right 12 percent then trust congress so at the bottom is congress and then the second lowest is the political media on television and political media on television covers congress so yeah and the problem of course the two Joe, the, losers thank you the problem in the eyes of chuck todd is that they just haven't fought back hard enough against this clearly false smear about bias that weirdly most people <laughs> agree exists and there was a point brought up by John Sexton at hotair.com he recalled back in 2004 the New York Times their own public editor admitted that the newspaper and this is true I think across the board in much of the media leaned heavily to the left on many social issues in particular quote there are social issues, gay rights, gun control, abortion, and in the environment, among others. If you think the Times plays it down the middle on any of them, you've been reading the paper with your eyes closed. That is a quote from the New York Times public editor in 2004. And I would argue the last four or five years, the bias has become even more blatant. They're not even really hiding the football as much anymore. And yet, here's Chuck Todd clinging to the idea that it's all a giant lie by those lying Republicans and it's the fault of the journalists for not denying it harder. 
Last point I'll make, Joe, and get your reaction before we go. On the issue yeah. of critical race theory, Chuck Todd, this was discussed in the Verge interview. He was asked about covering critical race theory and all of this race essentialism and the controversy that's sprouting up all over the place. And he said you have to be leery of it because you have to wonder, just because it's hot on cable news doesn't mean that it's a relevant topic. He said critical race theory, is this a real issue or is it a manufactured issue on the right? He said that he (laughs) needs to really look into that and he's not really sure if it's something that he wants to give a platform to on Meet the Press. That is his news judgment. And we've seen other news outlets talking about how there are parents left, right, and center who are very concerned about this. It is showing up in our schools all over the place. And he thinks it might be a manufactured issue on the right and doesn't feel like the prestige of Meet the Press is worthy of covering it at this time. Last word, Joe. In my town, okay, New Jersey, as you know, Guy, and exactly a red state, right, we're pretty blue, there was a Board of Ed meeting on Monday night where parents showed up en masse to object critical race theory taking over the curriculum when we are now in the world 25th in reading and writing and math. Let's do the blocking and tackling, the parents said, and let's not teach our kids to judge people based on the color of their skin. It is very, very real. And the fact that Chuck Todd doesn't know that, that's that bubble we were talking about before. Yeah, no, he's proving the point. He's proving the point. He's saying there is no liberal bias in the media. It's not true. We should have fought back harder. Also, fact checkers should fact check Republicans more because they lie more. And critical race theory is a manufactured issue on the right. And we shouldn't be giving it extra oxygen on Meet the Press because we need to make sure it's a real issue. I mean, QED. He's done it. He's proven it in the same interview that he denied it, which is quite a feat. Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, columnist at The Hill. Appreciate you swinging by to talk about this. Uh, And I enjoyed it because I think sometimes it's like fish in a barrel in this case, but someone's got to do it. Oh, guy, you hear that? That, That's Tim Russell turning over in his grave right now. Sorry, Tim, you have to witness this from above. One of the best. Joe Concha. I appreciate it. (laughs) On The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Back on the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show, I saw a tweet yesterday that said, a giant red hamster wheel washed up on a beach in Florida and there was a man inside. So I clicked that story because I wanted to know what the hell that was about. But what happened was, on Saturday morning, a Florida man was discovered inside a giant floating contraption when the red machine washed up on shore. The driver of this thing, Reza Balucci, was inside. He was unharmed, 49 years old, and he told authorities he was trying to raise money for charity by running, quote-unquote, on water in the ocean from St. Augustine, Florida to New York City by way of Bermuda. But then he ran into some problems. Imagine that. So he didn't make it out of Florida, let alone anywhere close to Bermuda. I wonder if this gentleman may have ingested some substances before he made this decision, because that could have ended extremely badly for him. Fortunately, he was found okay in the red hamster wheel. Another Florida man story on The Guy Benson Show. The happy hour continues next. 
The Guy Benson Show. Back on the happy hour, it is the Guy Benson Show. Earlier in the program, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie joined us. We had a lot to talk about with him involving the great state of New Jersey, in fact, and also doings in Washington, D.C., coronavirus. There was a lot on tap. Here's part of the conversation with Chris Christie. So, well, I have to ask you this. Yesterday was New Jersey Day, and I'm wondering, how did you celebrate your New Jersey Day? I disliked everybody from the other 49 states. Well, isn't that every day? Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Why change? (laughs) You know, I saw I actually saw a T-shirt yesterday during New Jersey Day here in New Jersey, and it said, don't worry, we don't like you either. (laughs) Why is it that Jersey gets such a bad rap? Because people don't understand it, right? They've never been here. I mean, you know, if you go to the Jersey Shore, it's one of the most beautiful beaches anywhere in the world. When you go to horse country in Somerset County, people can't believe what you see. If you've gone to President Trump's club in Bedminster, they can't imagine. They, what they think is New Jersey is what they see when they ride between Newark Airport and New yep. York City or right. the opening credits of The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. That's what Which they is, think. And, it's part of the state, you know, but it's not the whole state. It is. It's not the whole state, and it's not what we're all about. And, you know, look, this goes all the way back to Ben Franklin guy. You know, Ben Franklin used to say New Jersey is a keg capped at two ends, New York and Philadelphia. And so we don't have our own network television station. We got a bit of a chip on our shoulder because we're stuck between two of the world's greatest cities. Um, and we want some damn respect, guy. And so uh, we got to fight for it every day. Well, you're being very kind to Philadelphia in that description right there, but I'll let it slide <laughs> for now. I did see Great one other New Jersey guy. Great okay. historically. Yeah, certainly yeah. at that time. Let's I will I will endorse that. Um and that's just a, a little wave hello to all of my friends who are Eagles and Flyers fans. So, Governor, on the New Jersey front, one more Jersey question. I'm sure you saw this story. The state is renaming Garden State Parkway rest stops after famous New Jerseyans. I saw John Bon Jovi on the list. I saw James Gandolfini, speaking of the Sopranos, on the list. I think Judy Bloom was one of them. No Bruce Springsteen, unless I missed something. My, there was no Bruce Springsteen. Whitney Houston also got a rest stop named after her. I have to believe that's because they approached, approached Bruce and he said no. I cannot imagine that even Phil Murphy, as dopey a governor as he is, <laughs> would not say we need to name one after Bruce. And I would assume, though, if Bruce said, look, I'd really prefer not, that they would not do it. And I can only conclude that they must have approached Bruce and asked him if it was okay and that he said no. Oh, why would he say no? It could be like, you know, the born-to-run restroom. And, I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's a great honor, especially for, for a New Jerseyan. I would think so, too. Look, I, but, you know, I, you and I, Guy, given where we come from, have often find it, found it hard to understand why Bruce would think the way he thinks. Yeah, so, I think that's fair. You know, fair enough. We've we got to just stick to the music, babe. We've got to just stick to the music. I, I'm, I'm with you there. I saw that you were tweeting about ice cream the other day, and not in the way that people might suspect you might be tweeting about ice cream, because you and I <laughs> actually have talked about snack foods on the air before. It's about Ben & Jerry's. My full interview with former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, available on our website, GuyBensonShow.com. Also, the free podcast. Every day, totally on demand and free of charge. GuyBensonShow.com, Fox News Podcasts. 
com and wherever you get your free podcasts. When we come back, some celebrities revealing something very strange about their bathing habits. I am appalled. We will discuss straight ahead. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Home stretch on this Wednesday. It's the Guy Benson Show. Well, I saw this story on Twitter and I had to click because A, I have strong opinions about personal bathing habits and routines. I would call that like basic sanitary comportment, right? Personal hygiene. And B, these are some pretty high profile celebrities saying some things that at least from the tweet seemed pretty odd. So Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis are a couple. I would say that they're A-list celebrities, right? I wouldn't even say that they're B-plus list. I'm not sure if they've done a ton of work recently, but they appear in different things. I've seen even Ashton Kutcher on Shark Tank as a guest shark, which suggests he's made a lot of money, done pretty well. Mila Kunis is the voice of Meg on Family Guy. They may have met, if I recall correctly, on that 70s show, an old Fox comedy. Anyway, they're a celebrity couple. Christine, would you agree, A-list? Oh, yeah, totally. Definitely. Okay. Okay. So they apparently appeared on a podcast called Armchair Expert, and the discussion turned to bathing. And they asked about the bathing habits for them and their family And apparently they don't do a ton of bathing in that household. Mila Kunis, who is gorgeous, she said, I didn't have hot water growing up as a child, so I didn't shower very much anyway. Okay, this apparently has continued. They do have hot water, I imagine, now, but they've applied this to their kids named Wyatt and Dimitri, who are six and four, respectively. And so now that their kids are no longer babies, they are now, you know, younger children, Ashton Kutcher said that they have a system which is, quote, if you can see dirt on them, clean them. Otherwise, there's no point. They don't bathe their children unless there is visible dirt on their bodies. And then in terms of his own hygiene habits, Ashton Kutcher says that he washes his armpits and crotch area on a daily basis, quote, and nothing else ever. He says he will throw some water on his face after a workout to get the salts out. He won't shower after a workout. He'll just wash those couple areas, splash some water on his face, and I guess head out into the world. So I was taken aback by this because this seems gross, quite frankly. With all due respect to this couple, and they can raise their kids however they want, the visible dirt standard I found to be pretty shocking. And then I couldn't get over the fact that you have, you know, Ashton Kutcher, who's this good-looking male celebrity who's, you know, out there on red carpets and all this stuff, He will literally go and exercise. He'll work out. He'll sweat. He'll be gross. And he'll just 
use some water on his face to get the salts out, and then go on with his day. I, I'm gobsmacked. I don't even know what to do with that. So, Christine, I don't know exactly what your habits are in this realm, but as a parent and a mother, without judging the choices that they're making for their family, did you have a similar reaction to me here? I did, and you and I don't agree often, but nope, uh, I shower every single day, and even if I wash my hair in the morning and then I decide to do a workout later on, I get back in the shower. Uh, That's just me, apparently, but this is a big thing. This isn't just them. You know, I've heard other people talk about how they just do what is called a rinse, that, you know, they just maybe wash some parts of their body and the rest just get the rinse and off they go on with their day. And then don't forget the no poo movement. That was big Excuse a couple me? years ago. I don't know. No poo? poo. The no poo movement. Uh, a lot of women were doing where they weren't shampooing their hair. Oh, um, shampoo. I, okay. I was going to say the other thing. I don't really think people have a choice. You can try, but good luck. <laughs> yeah. You just, <laughs> You wash your hair with uh, baking soda once or twice a week, and then you just, like, rinse it with uh, some sort of vinegar, and that's it. You never use shampoo or conditioner again. Vinegar? Like cooking vinegar? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably apple cider, if I had to guess. What? This is the thing? Yep. People do this? Yes. It, it was a huge movement a few years ago. I tried it. It did not work. My husband said, please go back to using the poo, because I looked like poo. <laughs> it was <laughs> so not what, good. what did it do to your hair? It just made my hair look oily and dirty. Like, my hair needed to be washed. I was told by people that I knew that were doing it, oh, you just got to keep going. But I couldn't show up to work anymore the way I was looking. It just, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't pretty. So I mm. went back to the poo. Shampoo, just let's be crystal clear here for the audience. I just don't want anyone to yeah. get some very bad ideas from producer Christine and then send us an angry note about what they've put into their hair. But <laughs> I am a big shower guy. I don't really like to take baths, almost never. We have a really nice bathtub at the house in the master bathroom with the jets and all of that. I would say I have used it twice in two years total for a bath because in theory the idea of having a bath and having a glass of wine and there's a TV in the bathroom and just relaxing in some bubbles and that sort of thing I like the concept of it the execution I don't really like plus what happens is you then get into this little pond the dirt comes off of you and then you're just soaking in your own dirt I don't like that with the shower the water comes over you and then goes down the drain and there's a cleaning process it's not a stewing process that's just me I know people swear by baths I am not among them I bathe almost never that way I always do the shower but I shower a lot and the reason that I shower a lot is first of all I cannot do TV unless I've showered because my hair, my bedhead is awful. My hair gets oily and gross overnight. My cowlicks are terrible. I mean, my hair is completely unacceptable for television when I wake up. It needs to be tamed through a shower. And it, it's sort of like 
gross and it doesn't have a great texture if I just rinse it. I have to shampoo. So if I've got TV, I will shower prior to that if I've been sleeping at all because otherwise I would look bad. My hair would look terrible on TV. Plus, if it's in the morning, it helps me wake up. It's a good way to start the day. If I don't have TV, I won't bathe when I get up. I won't shower. I'll go through the day, and I'll shower later after a workout. So that's the second part of this. If I exercise, even just for 15 or 20 minutes, I am absolutely, positively taking a shower afterwards, period. I mean, unless I'm literally going to go outside and do more exercise or something and be around no people, and there are no circumstances where that's real, I shower after a workout every single time. Now, maybe I won't fully wash my hair a second time because I have heard if you wash your hair too often, it's not great. But I'm washing my hair at least once a day. And certainly, for instance, before COVID, I was showering twice a day, typically. Because I had to shower before I showed my face at Fox. I wasn't going to go into the bureau gross and unshowered. So that's number one. Then I would exercise in the evening, which is my routine. And that's shower number two before dinner. So pre-COVID, I was showering on average twice a day. I would say during COVID, it's closer to once a day. But when I've got the double dip of TV and workout and the timing is off, like I have to do TV in the morning or something, it's twice a day, period. I mean, it's just not something, it's not really negotiable. It's not even really a preference. I will not look TV ready if I don't shower, and I will not go and have dinner or get into bed sweaty and gross from a workout having not cleaned myself. I just, I don't understand how that would not be just the common, nearly universal practice for those of us who are fortunate enough to have, you know, running water. No, I 100% agree with you, Guy. I I just don't understand this. And like I said before, there are famous people, and I have friends that do this, and I just don't understand it. Um, we are very, very lucky to be able to wash our bodies, and I really suggest it. You know, like you said before, um, sometimes I don't always give the best advice. You know, I'm, I, I push that mama's juice more than anybody, but I'm going to push this. Wash your bodies every day. Get in that shower and wash. Be good for you. See, I have heard, and this is more of a thing for women, I believe. I don't think this is sexist to say. Where women do wash their hair less frequently because some of those natural oils make the hair shinier and more lustrous and more natural looking so they won't wash their hair except for every few days so they'll bathe but that's why you have shower caps you have women who will avoid washing their hair for that reason then the follow-up reason is for me it takes not long at all for my hair to dry because it's just a dude's relatively short haircut if you've got long hair it is a production to get it dry so it doesn't look all like sticky and especially in the summer it's not sticking to your neck and looking scraggly or straggly or anything like that that's much more of a time investment if you're going to wash your hair shampoo it the whole thing if you're a woman so i can understand being more strategic about it under those circumstances or if you're a guy with long hair right that that makes sense to me for me where i just 
use a towel and sometimes a blow. I hate wet hair so much. I'll blow dry the hair just to get it dry, and then I'll towel it again. And it will look a little bit tousled at that point, but I'm satisfied that it's mostly dry because wet hair is super gross to me. I can't stand it. For women, the calculus is a little bit different. But you said you do it every day. Are you going through the whole process of blow drying your hair every single day, Christine? No, I mean, I'm lucky right now since I am at home. I'll just get in the shower and then just let it air dry. And some days it, it'll do its thing and it's not terrible. And then some days it looks like I stuck my finger in an electrical socket. And then if I'm going out, you know, I'll throw it back. Um, but no, I, I've been lucky. But yeah, when, you know, when I was every day at work, I maybe every other day I washed, I, I'm jealous of those girls that I know girls that can go 10, 12 days without washing and look phenomenal. That is just not me. And it probably never will be. So once I get back Here's to work thing. full time. If I so had I the opportunity, if you told me that I would look like Ashton Kutcher, if... I only washed my armpits and crotch on a daily basis and only washed my face after a workout. I still wouldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I guess this is just something that is ingrained in me for whatever reason. I have strong feelings about it. And if you're one of these bathe less frequently people, you know, use the shower sparingly or what have you, if this is your life hack, go for it. I'm just not sure I want to be standing right next to you. That's just, that's all I'm saying. And you can send me angry tweets and DMs or whatever if you want. Guy P. Benson on Twitter and Instagram. That's my take. I'm sticking to it. I might go take a shower right now, just on principle. No, I'm going to go exercise, and then I'm going to take a shower because I'm a normal human being. Not to call other people abnormal. I'm not passing judgment, but I kind of am. Back here for the Thursday edition of the Guy Benson Show tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Have a great evening. We will talk to you then. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.